Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino here with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And as most of you know, as a CEO and founder of Value Prop, uh, I work with business owners who really want to see next level growth. They're on a plateau. They feel stuck. They want to get to the next level. And so we help them figure out strategy, what they need to put in place for marketing, what they need to do for sales. And I love doing that. been doing that close to 20 years now. And uh, just something I really enjoy doing, which is why today's guest is exciting for me because she's a real kindred spirit. Her name is Lauren Goldstein. She's the biz doctor and she works mostly in the services area, but the stuff we're going to talk about is so appropriate to anybody who runs a business and wants to figure out ways to scale it. We're going to talk about what what needs to happen in the one place, the one frontier that really needs to get resolved, which is between your ears, perspective on a couple of key decisions that could be the difference between scaling and not scaling your business. So listen closely as Lauren joins us right now. Welcome, Lauren, to Business Growth on Purpose. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And and Lauren, just so our audience gets a little bit of context, if you could just tell us a little bit about what you do and who you do it for primarily. Yes. So my name is Lauren Goldstein. My clients years ago lovingly nicknamed me the biz doctor because I am so passionate about helping business owners get out from underneath their business. Specifically, I work most often with service-based business owners because you guys have the curse of knowledge and sometimes it's hard to really get out of the trenches, but I'm so passionate about making, helping you guys make that shift from operator to owner. So you can have true entrepreneurial freedom and not get so stuck in the weeds of your business. But you know, one problem with that, Lauren, is that, but I know what we should do better than the people who work for me. So (laughs) I can't help it. I have to, I have to step in on things. So Mm -hmm. I'm just curious how you, how you start when, when somebody wants to talk to you, I assume they, they kind of recognize that this might be an issue. Well, they've been told it's, it's an intervention, maybe, right? So, so how do you get into somebody, uh, for somebody to really see maybe the degree to which they are their own impediment in terms of some of the freedoms they might want to have as a business owner? Yeah, so I think the, the easiest way for me to do that is through our diagnostic deep dive process, where we look at your people, your process, and your profit and really uncover what sticking points you have in those areas, what's stopping you from having sustainable scalability, the ability to walk away if you want, or at least take a vacation without worry. And, um, and truly understanding where you might be what my friend Cameron calls a seagull leader, where you come in, poop all over everything and then fly away. (laughs) 
or actually somebody said it the other day when I was talking about this, if you've seen the movie Finding Nemo, where the sure. seagulls are just like, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> um, yeah, so really it comes down to understanding where you want to go. Because I think when we start our businesses, we're so passionate about solving that problem that we don't really think about having a business that fits around our life. It's our life is now trying to be fit around our business. And then we wake up one day and we're like, oh my gosh, my whole life is my business. What happened? Wow. So it's interesting. So an owner, you know, I know that's especially in, in knowledge-based service businesses where somebody is mm-hmm. the expert, it's easy yeah. to always be involved in everything. But I can tell you for sure, even in like industrial categories, manufacturing, uh, industrial services, same dynamic. Because yeah. at, at and what I've observed sometimes, it's it feels like at some point you want to tell an owner, do you or don't you trust the people who work for you? Mm. And if you don't, hmm, what what are you going to do about that? Because that's a different question, really, that needs to be explored. So I, I'd ask you that question. Have you found that 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 trust issue is sometimes the impediment? Like, I'm just not sure Joe's going to do it the way I would do it. How do you help somebody walk through that thought process? Because he's probably right. Joe won't do it exactly the way you do it, but it doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I come across that, I I think trust is, is the red herring, but it's actually ego and control that's underneath. And so, because trust is something that, you know, you just give someone when you hire them, you trust that they're going to do their job. You trust that they're going to do the right things and your culture and your core values should be those navigational beacons to help people make decisions. But where I see trust being the scapegoat is when actually you haven't done a good enough job. Um, I'm laughing to myself because there's an analogy I use, which I'll tell you in a second. You haven't done a good enough job showing yourself and your ego that you're still important if you're not doing the doing. And so the analogy I use is um, like a toddler. If they have a toy or something that they really don't want to give you, the best way to get it is to give them something else in trade. And so for entrepreneurs, a lot of times they're having trouble giving up control because they don't have something else that they feel is truly valuable that's mm. going to contribute and give them that sense of fulfillment. And so that's a lot of the work that I do. And, you know, my degree is in cognitive neuroscience, and I'm also a board certified NLP practitioner. So a lot of the work that I do when I come in as fractional COO or business advisor and consultant is, is thinking through <laughs> what's actually going on between your ears that's keeping you from being able to shift out of that operator, having and feeling like you need to do all the things to being an owner and trusting that the team that you have is the right one. And the, you know, there's another layer to that of understanding what is your definition of done and allowing people who are smarter than you to actually get there faster. Wow. So you've, uh, and I, I love that you approach this stuff between your ears because it's the head trash, right? That usually gets in the way of, of everything. Yeah. So it's something I'm holding. I, and by the way, I could hold on to that belief mm-hmm. with like a real steel grip, yeah, like, even though oh. it's, it's actually not, not, not advancing or, or helping me any. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one thing we, we touched on in the uh, 
pre-podcast uh, discussion. Yeah. It's this idea of, I think you framed it this way. It was actually very exciting the way you said it is, and I don't want to misquote you, but would you buy your own business again? Like if you were out in the market looking to buy, would you buy your company? And if not, why not? And uh, tell me a little bit about how that thought process works and why it might matter for somebody wanting to get better control of their current business. I mean, I own it now. Why is that question important to process? Yeah. So the reason why this question is top of mind and something that I think is really a perspective shifter is because when we start a business and we're so passionate about solving that problem and then you know, we're adding team, we're adding operations, we're adding systems. We forget that as your business grows and scales, it should get more simple, not more complicated. And so then suddenly we're trying to take off in this airplane while also trying to build this airplane versus asking ourselves, taking a moment, stopping and saying, if I wanted to buy a business tomorrow and that business happened to be this business, would I buy it? Do I have the team, the operational health, the profitability, the cash flow to make this a really viable business that's saleable, that will have a legacy, and that will also get a really great multiple? Because if the answer is no, then you're really not building a business. You're just building something that's a job disguised as a business. Mm. And you can have a lifestyle business, that's fine, or you can have a legacy business. but trying to trying to run a legacy business like a lifestyle business or vice versa you're not going to get very far but if you think about the end in like if you start with the end in mind and get really clear on if you were an investor would this business be viable without you at the helm if you sold it to somebody else would it continue to grow then that's a really great starting point well, but but Lauren, I'm I'm just I'm not even thinking about selling. I'm at the height of my powers. I think there's a lot more <laughs> runway there to go. Yeah. So is that a question only for older business owners to contemplate, or would you say anybody who's trying to do something with their company should should really process that? I think anybody that has a business should think about this because, well, there's a couple of things that come at play. Number one. The things that make it a very sexy business, let's be honest, there's there's nothing sexy about having a seven-figure business that has razor-thin profitability, mm-hmm. cash flow troubles, where you're stressed out about making payroll. There's nothing sexy about that. But there is something incredibly sexy about a business that has healthy profitability, healthy cash flow, a big cushion of free cash in the bank. And that is also... Can, like, if you think about it, what makes a business sexy to somebody that's going to buy it? And so if you want to have a really healthy, sustainable, scalable business that, that turns off money for you to have the life that you want, then it needs to be, you know, sexy to a seller, which in turn makes it very sexy to you. And then the other part of that is that when you're when you're in your business, you always think that you have more time, but in reality, you don't know if you might have to sell tomorrow or if there's Mm. some sort of thing on the horizon that will make a merger happen or something like that. And so the more proactive you are with putting in the team and operational and profitability structures that will make it a really thriving, 
successful business, the more you can weather whatever comes down the pipe. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about these operational structures. So, you know, one thing I've seen sometimes is that company that is struggling mm-hmm. to have adequate margins or to really throw off enough profit, like all the things you hit on, which are excellent points. They say, well, you know, but yeah, but now you're telling me I have to add some layer of new operational people. I can't afford them. I cannot mm-hmm. afford, you know, so like you said, and, and I've seen that businesses, you know, cranking eight, nine, $10 million a year. And, but they've, they've increased their, their OPEX as their top line grew. So they've not making any more money. So boy, I'm going out, I'm, I'm out of my mind trying to run this thing. I'm giving it all I got. How is adding more cost or more effort going to get me there? Mm. Well, um, I think you're asking the wrong gal because I come in and I actually say, what are we going to simplify? What are we going to cut out what what is the bloat that needs to go away because most businesses that I come in whether they're 5 million or 100 million all have the same challenge which is what I call business barnacles things that you added along the way mm-hmm. that were very helpful at the time but now are either causing revenue to leak through the cracks friction points overhead etc Because the difference between growing, I mean, there's a lot of differences, but the main difference between growing and scaling is growing is when you're in that photo finish of your, your revenue goes up, your expenses go up because you're trying to figure out how to build the back end to expand with revenue. Whereas scaling is doing more with the same amount of resources that you have or having maybe marginal increases. A lot of business owners don't think about step costs. Like, what is it going to take for you to go from 5 million to 10 million? Are you going to need a new warehouse? Are you going to need new suppliers? Are you going to need new contracts? Are you going to need more team? What about the boxes? Like, there's a lot of stuff that can come in in that $5 million gap. Or it could just be, you know, $100,000 in top line costs. So my first question to somebody that's like, I need more to get here is my first question is, do you? Because if you look, I'm going to use, I'm going to use Google and Amazon and all the tech guys right now as an example. Everyone's freaking out because so many people are being laid off. And I was having this conversation and I said, if you think about it though, what they're doing is they're getting rid of bloat. They didn't need all these people. They were just hiring to hire because they thought they needed that stuff. Mm-hmm needed those people, needed that infrastructure. But in reality, businesses that succeed are very simple. So if you're finding yourself in that photo finish every single month, my question to be to you would be, where is the bloat? Like, what do you have in there that really isn't serving a purpose, isn't increasing your profitability? And just start going from being a mile wide and an inch deep to a mile deep and an inch wide. Cause you can, you can be a 10, 15, $20 million business with 20 people. Like there's not a number. You just have to do what's best for your business and understanding and building the right team for you. That's very complimentary. You can have lean, effective teams and make millions of dollars you just have to be proactive instead of reactive. No, I, I love that, Lauren. And and I love, I mean, it's harsh, 
good. Like sometimes, <laughs> no, no, but, but you yeah. know, sometimes medicine goes down a little tough, right? But it's mm-hmm. what you need. Um, although I hate when they if they give you those horse pills. Oh I, yeah, those are terrible. <laughs> you go like what? Anyway, yeah. th- I digress. Uh, the the harsh medicine, right? But bloat, uh, yeah, once you're in business a long enough time, you know, 10, 15 years, you're doing things, you're selling things, and you have maybe people on your team. And, you know, you, you see this a lot with very tightly held, privately, you know, privately held companies. We're like, they, we're all like family. And I, and I understand that. And I, and I think that's a, you know, that's a worthy sentiment. I said, there's other nice things you could do for somebody. But one thing that isn't nice is to have somebody in place that is, uh, in the wrong fit because it's not good for them. They're not having a good time either. Mm-hmm. So you can work an off ramp. Doesn't have to be a harsh off ramp. You could, you could say, Hey, listen, it ain't working out. And you know, you can, you should be looking and we can support that for a couple of months because that's better than for a couple of years. Right. Yep. So those kinds of conversations, do you find owners when you deal with them, are they able to deal with the, let's just call it the HR conversations. The fact that Larry's been with me 10 years, but we've moved on from that and I have to let Larry go or find something else for him to do. How hard are those conversations? How ready are people to make those changes? Uh, Those conversations tend to be my least favorite because sometimes they are like pulling teeth Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think as human beings, we don't want to disappoint people. We don't want to hurt people, which is very admirable. And I'm not saying we should not have empathy or care about other people. Um, I will say though, that on average, people who started with your company will not be with your company when you get past certain points, just because they're not capable of being the team that you need them to be, whether they don't have the skill set, the expertise, if they're not a player and a worker be instead. And so when I have those conversations, it's really, it becomes a conversation, not about, you know, finding a position for this person and trying to like mold the business to keep this person. But in reality, how much is this person costing you? Hmm. Because you're talking, like, I remember a few months ago, I was, I was talking to one of my fractional COO clients (laughs) and we were in our quarterly planning. And if you haven't gotten this already, I'm not a New Yorker, but I am a very straight, uh, straight shooter. And so I said, listen, guys, we have talked about this person in every single conversation for the past four weeks. I'm at a point now where you just have to decide, are you going to keep them and stop letting this take up so much brain space? Or are you going to fire them? Because this is no longer a conversation of any value. In fact, it's detracting from the business and it's costing us money, not only with your time and energy, but they're not performing. So either we figure this out today and we're done or he gets fired. Like that's like, that is it. You guys have literally beating a dead horse at this point. And of course, everyone was like, but I don't know, like he's going to cost so much if we get rid of him. And I said, okay, great. So let's say he leaves tomorrow. And I think this actually really helps. I always ask if, if I'm come in and I make a suggestion that somebody either needs to shift or be fired or promote it, anything like that. If they're leaving, I say, okay, if they left tomorrow, what would break? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. 
Um, or sometimes they're like, actually a lot would, we'd have to do this and this and this and this. And I love that conversation because that tells you, you have a concentrated risk in your team. Mm -hmm. So by asking the question of if key member left tomorrow, what would break, then you're able to really shore up the business, but you're also able to like, give yourself this, like, I don't know, sense of relief of it's probably not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. Right. Being able to envision the future. And I love the simple question there, like Mm -hmm. what would break in? And then they realize, okay, well, then, then your, your kind of nice guy, nice gal instincts are costing you whatever that person's, you know, they're not doing anything for you. If you wouldn't feel their absence, then keeping them on board for another quarter is going to cost you, you know, $20,000. Just write them a check for 20 grand and say goodbye, because it's get rid of the problem. You wanted to give them the money anyway. So, and then they say, well, not so fast, right? I I probably wouldn't want, wouldn't write that, that type of a check. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lauren, as just to wrap up this this thought here, uh, you know, beginning with the end in, in mind, uh, operational health. I, I love the people, process, profit, that focus there, and I love the photo finishing, um, photo a photo finish between revenue and expense. Love hmm. that. That's a great visual. <laughs> I will borrow that. I'll give attribution uh, there. So as people look out over the next, uh, you know, we're coming up, you know, we've come out of the pandemic and who knows if we're in a slow recession, we're over it, we're going into one, who knows. But what what do you think something a business owner should be thinking about looking out over the next year, 18 months? What, what would be a word of wisdom there that you could share from all the different work you've done? Oh, boy. I probably have so many, but let me see if I can pick one. Um, I think that I think that what I would I would suggest is um, my friend Cameron again um, says that if the rate of change outside your business is greater than the rate of change inside your business, you're out of business. And I think that with with what the pandemic showed everybody in small business and and what the recession and who knows what's coming down the pipe is creating, as well as this new landscape of AI, it's that you can't just rest on your laurels. Like what worked three years ago might not work today. And so I'm not saying go and like completely shake up your business. That's not what I'm saying. But I think if you want to have a business that can survive whatever is thrown at at you, the way to do that is to get really, really clear where you want to go, who you want on your team with you, but more importantly, how you're going to integrate the different things that are happening around you to make sure that you stay proactive and relevant. Because I think there's a lot of, of waves that are happening in business now that if you just, I mean, I'm not saying you need to go reinvent in your entire business to fit AI, but I do think that with any advance in technology, if you can find a way to just have like 2% of it, then that's going to help you ride that wave versus being like, oh, it's probably, I don't know. It's just, it's just a fade, a fad, right? Right. Some people were like, oh, podcasts are never going to stick around. We're not going (laughs) to do that. Well, they're still here, you know, 12 years later. And so um, I think that the advice that I would give for the next 
12 to 18 months is really look at your business, get rid of that bloat, figure out how to proactively integrate the changes so that you stay relevant and, and don't rest on your laurels. Um, because the more agile you are and the more aware you are from a proactive standpoint, the more you'll be able to weather whatever comes to you. Fantastic. Lauren Goldstein, thank you so much for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. If if somebody listening to this wanted to know more about you and your work, where should they go? Hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I could obviously talk about this for a very long time. I would say the best place, since I'm already in your ears, is to head on over to the Biz Doctor podcast with Lauren Goldstein, available on all streaming platforms, and tune into my podcast where I share a lot of different perspectives, tools, tactics to help you have that true entrepreneurial freedom and scale your business more effectively. I have great guests. I know that Jose is going to be on my show as well. So pop on over there and give it a listen. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. It's it's, It's been great. It's been great. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.